Are you guys ready up there? Hello and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Hannah Quinn, I work as a director and I'm also on the board of WFT. In this podcast, Irish Foley artist Creva Doyle and Oscar-winning supervising sound editor Nina Hartstone talk about their experiences working in the industry and how sound can elevate a story. Hello everybody and welcome at uh, our crew talk uh, with Women in Film and Television Ireland. Uh, I'm very happy you're joining us. Today uh, we have prepared a chat uh, for you with uh, Nina Hearthstone Hearthstone, and Kriva Doyle. Um, They are uh, two very accomplished, experienced and uh, award-winning women working in the field of sound uh, in film, television and in the video game world. So I'm very happy that they agreed both to join us and to talk to me about uh, sound and their respective fields. A little bit about Nina. She works as a supervising sound editor uh, in feature films. Um, Her specialization is dialogue and ADR. Uh, And she has been nominated and won (laughs) millions of awards (laughs) for a lot of films that I'm sure you and I have seen. Well, I know I have. One of my favorites, uh, The Hours, Education and Gravity. That's something I want to talk about. And Quiva, she is um, a Foley artist. She's the co-owner of Foley Lab in Wicklow. Uh, Quiva specializes in recording or creating Foley sound effects and footsteps for film, television and video games. And just like Nina, she's got numerous nominations and wins under her belt. uh, And she's worked on things such as The Favourite, which I love for its cinematography as well, and Game of Thrones and lots of other uh, productions uh, and films that you will find out about when you look up her filmography on IMDb. <laughs> so welcome to you both. Thank you. Uh, so Nina, I know that you're, you are at our European Sound uh, Supervising Editor joining us from England currently, are you? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. And Kriva, you are joining us from, are you joining us from Foley Studios? No, it was a mad dash to get here, uh, but I just about made it. But um, I'm now in Greystones in Wicklow. All right, wonderful. One of the nicer parts of Ireland, I have to say. Uh, Okay, so before we get in uh, into it, I just want to say that Women in Film and Television champion every woman in film and television, uh, no matter of her background, uh, experience, and where she is on the ladder. And we uh, keep this as a safe space for all of us. So be kind to each other here. If you post any questions for uh, Nina and Kriva, please um, uh, be kind. And let's get into it. Uh, I would like to begin with asking you uh, both, but let's just aim at this at Nina first. Uh, what is it that a supervising sound editor does? Uh, there's so much within the sound world that, that you could do. So what is it exactly that you do? So a supervising sound editor is the person who basically looks after sound in post-production. So our role is once the film has been shot, and we're getting sort of the the edit has begun, the director is making their first cut. That's generally when we get brought on full time 
to uh, start putting the sound together, taking the sound that's been recorded on set and make sure that we edit it so it sounds smooth and clean, identify areas where we need to record. So ADR for dialogue, if we need to re-record anybody's lines, we'll add in uh, sound effects and atmospheres and Foley, of course, which is so terribly important. And uh, the music comes in as well. But basically we oversee the editorial part of uh, putting all of the soundtrack together and then through to uh, the mix stage of it and delivery of the film. Okay, interesting, thank you. And so Kriva, uh, Nina mentioned that Foley comes into that. What is exactly Foley? Uh, what do you do? Um, so in Foley, we recreate all the footsteps for all of the characters um, or animals or birds or creatures um, from the top of the film to the tail. And after we perform the footsteps, we go back up to the top and we'll perform all of the things that the actors touch um, or, you know, their, their capes or their dresses or their swords or um, kisses, all that kind of thing. And we oh do God, even kisses. <laughs> Pardon? Even kisses. Yeah, even kisses like, <laughs> be, that's about as saucy as the kiss gets. And then we go back to the top and we'll do all the fabric moves um, or armor moves or whatever they're wearing. Um, so we do three passes. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I did know what, what Foley was, but the, the kisses, that's new. That I didn't know that you do even that. Okay. Uh, brilliant. And so, so Nina, how do you, out of the vast, um, vastness of sound uh, spe specializations in, in, in the film industry, how do you get to, to, to where you are now? Like, how did you pick this? Did you pick to be a supervising sound editor or did it happen to you through uh, maybe doing different roles? It was, it was pretty much a journey actually for me. I did my, um, I did some work experience when I was 15 um, on the film Batman that was being made at Pinewood at the time. It was the very first Batman film, Tim Burton's one. And I worked, uh, I was helping out in the art department during my summer holidays from school. Um, and I loved it. Uh, it was just such an amazing experience to be there while they were shooting that. So from that moment on, I knew I wanted to work in film. But of course, I think at that stage, everyone just thinks they want to be a director. You know, it's just like I would love to direct <laughs> films. Um, so I, I tried to get involved with filmmaking as much as possible. And then in um, holidays from my university career, I came and worked as a floor runner over one of the summer holidays. And then I finished my degree and it was a long time ago. My degree was entirely theoretical. So it was all, uh, we didn't do any practical kind of filmmaking skills. It was basically watching films and, and picking them apart and looking how they were constructed. So I needed to find a job basically when I left right. university and managed to get um, a job making the tea. Uh, for for a sound supervisor who was in the cutting rooms at Pinewood because that was what was available, and uh, it was fascinating. Started learning about the whole post production process, and I think I just kind of I got um, sucked into it. Really, it's just it's lovely to be in that part where the film is all put together. I love being on set as well, but it's just um, it's it's such an interesting dimension to the film, and so much sound is created in post production, and I think most people just think that the sound is all that's everything that's recorded on set you know and then that's mm -hmm. all there and that's all there and great but as uh as Quiver can say you know we, we create so much of it we record and and create so much of the soundtrack in post-production it just feels like a very creative 
thing to do. So I did that and just worked my way up from trainee and then assistant and then an editor, learning more and more about the process and finally to supervisor. Wow, and is that is that the end of the road or is there more that you can go or want to go? Well, the, the interesting thing, I suppose, for my role now, it's kind of the end of the road in editorial. However, uh, one of the things I love about this job is every film is completely different. So I'm constantly learning anyway. So I've just re more recently been working on some musical films, so editing vocals, which brings a whole new dimension to the work that I've been doing, um, having to factor in not just the sync with the picture, but also the sync with the music. Um, the other thing is with uh, is that, there's a sort of quite a blurred line these days between editorial and, and the mixed part of the process. So uh, we're always kind of now at the moment, I'm kind of trying to learn a few more skills on the mixing side and, you know, just uh, learning more and more about the entire soundtrack and how to put it together in the best way with my specialism, having been dialogue and ADR is, it's just great to expand into all these other areas as well and, and know the nitty gritty of it, not just, how you would like the sound to be at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, thank you. Uh, so, what about you, Kiva? How, how did you how did you arrive at Foley? Was the journey um, for you? Well, I was um, in editorial. Um, I can Ardmore Sound in '96, and uh, and that's actually when I met Nina for the first time. And uh, it was like, you know, I guess. Um, Film sound was in its infancy, and uh, and that was the, that was like a really big gig uh, to be in Ardmore, and uh, we were really excited. And all the lads came over from uh, London uh, to do the sound editing because at that time we didn't have we didn't have the same kind of film hi history, um, the film experience that they had in England or in America. Or that so, um, so I was learning the craft around the uh, late nineties, and um, and then around I think it was ninety nine. Um, they were bringing in a Foley artist from Canada, this master Foley artist uh, from Canada called Andy Malcolm. And, um, and he was working, we were both working night shifts at that time. And I saw him, uh, he was down in the main theatre and you probably remember, Nina, the little projector window in Ardmore that you could look in through the, where they yeah. had all the um, projectors. You could look in through the window and I saw Andy inside the theatre and uh, he was this guy, you know, he's come all the way from Canada, he's a Foley artist. And, and he was... <laughs> throwing stuff around the room and he was throwing corridors and and I just I just I was fascinated I couldn't believe it. it was so physical and I mean he was he was just embodying all of the movement of the film and I was hooked and um so I, I went in and I um and he was the kind of guy who just said um get up there and see if you can do it you know straight away he's just like get up, see if you can and I was always handy at um PlayStation or you know I guess hand eye and uh and so I could do, I had the sync um, I could see sync, I guess, you know, so I guess I could see sync. And, um, and he mm -hmm. said, if you can get yourself to Canada, I'll, I'll, um, I'll train you. And um, so I did, I did that. And he trained me. And then I, I, wow. still, I love it. <laughs> you stuck with it. You love it still. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, wow. That's incredible. I mean, you both mentioned that, uh, uh, for both of you, there was a, a man involved in, in getting you interested at first. Is that right? Did, did you, Nina, mention uh, there was a, a man in the beginning as well where you had the internship? Or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I yeah, worked for a sound supervisor. I mean, they were all male in that day. <laughs> it wasn't likely to be a woman, to be honest, not in sound. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
And what, what about today? How do you find that? Do you see more women? There, there are definitely more women and a lot more women coming through um, in the, you know, younger generations and the lower ranks. But I think there are still very few supervisors who are women. Mm -hmm. That's that's sort of part of the issue, I think. And it's it's obviously as a female sound supervisor, I, I'm looking to hire you know you end you hire people who who you are friends with or who you know you become friendly with them because you have met them through work or through one of our guilds or organizations and those kinds of things and i think it's just so it's very natural for me to to look at women and men to hire whereas i think that doesn't happen quite so much the other way around i mm. think you tend to sort of you do you look to people who are like you, you know, and who mm -hmm. approach things in a similar way. You always want to work with people you're going to be sympathetic with. And I think, like I say, that's not 100% always women, but I think maybe I'm, I'm as a female supervisor and other female supervisors might be more likely to seek out women in these roles. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Kriva? Do you, do you, or who do you work mostly in, in your uh, field? Um, at the moment now, <clears throat> excuse me, at the moment in the Foley lab, um, in a, out of a crew of four, three of them are women, um, and uh, and one of those women uh, is, is Jean McGrath, who I've been working with, and would also have been in Ardmore in the nineties for Collins, uh, lovely Jean from Galway, and um, and she's she's just you know Ireland's premier foley mixer. She's phenomenal, and um, and I've loved working with her, and um, we've worked on a lot of projects, you know, since then and then Kira Mahan is is the new the next generation of of um of Foley Mixer you know really smart lady really caught on really quickly and so it's great you know it's great to have um to have a full uh mm -hmm. you know somebody in it years and, and fresh blood in it's great you know well I'm, I'm really glad to hear that um so let's just go back a little bit to the work that you do so so Nina if I understand it correctly, somewhere along the way, when you're com uh, compiling this, the soundtrack for the film, you would you would be working with someone like Quiva to to get you the fo uh, foley. So so would you in fact then be uh, uh, the person that Quiva uh, kind of I don't want to say answers to, but but to whom she she she, she is responsible, or do you, Quiva are you responsible to the director? What's the whole balance? there um like the sound supervisor like nina that role um we they're pretty much the people who will hire the sound crew who will choose the talent um so building up a relationship um with sound supervisors is uh pretty much um how the work is generated and um you know uh repeat repeat business you know uh working together realizing uh understanding each other and then um, you know, it so often leads to um, repeat work. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's generally how it, how it works for us. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's very collaborative, though. I'd say. I mean, there's certainly you know, I, I I suppose the director would sit with me as sound supervisor, for example, and we'd spot the film and go through in, in a very detailed way to look at how um, how we want the sound to be in this film how the interplay of the dialogue of the effects and the music any special um things that we need to know about certain characters that we can enhance with the sound those sorts of things 
And then those messages, um, you know, so then I would maybe then meet with Quiver and we'd talk about how how we can create, do this with Foley. How can we help this character with Foley? What kind of Foley mm -hmm. we're looking for there? So the whole, uh, you know, we have quite big teams in sound, don't we? But it's a very collaborative process. And, and we all do have, to, we're all working together and interplaying quite closely because at the end of the process, we're all occupying the same set of frequencies. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it is it becomes a whole at the end and um, it needs all all the way through. You constantly need to be thinking about how how it was all going to work together, um, mm -hmm. and how to uh, bring your expertise alongside the director's vision and, and get the very best for the for the project. Mm -hmm. And so then how do you go about choosing projects? I, I presume like now with with all the experience and work behind you, you probably have a good intuition of what to go for, what suits you. But say, if you're, if you start only starting out and you're like building the network of people to work with, how do you, how do you go about uh, developing a healthy um, group of people to work with? I would say in terms of finding work, you uh, exactly as Queeve said, you develop relationships with people um, and you like each other's work. So a director might like, you know, my work as a sound supervisor in the next film they make, they they more than likely come to you the same as, you know, relationship we'd have with Foley artists and Foley studios too. In terms of sort of getting into the industry, I think it's just uh, the, the wonderful thing at the moment is there are so many opportunities to learn about what is going on in our industry. Talks like this and uh, all sorts of other events, women in film and TV do, doing fantastic work, as are the unions and the guilds. There's a lot of information out there to sort of find out about all the roles mm -hmm. that there are. But I would say that we're kind of, you know, it's, it's just said it today, haven't we? The fact that we met each other in like 1996 it is quite a small world, actually, the sound industry, even across all, all the countries, you know, from UK, Europe, um, you know, the States. We, we kind of have quite a quite a network going on, really. We all, uh, we all know each other. So I think just uh, just trying to trying to speak to people who are already working in the industry and finding out about the jobs that there are and, and finding out what might interest you is, is the best way to sort of start about it really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm looking at a question that came to us from uh, Gemma O'Leary. What should someone straight out of college do if they want to specialize in this field? <laughs> so you kind of partially already answered. There's lots of information out there to to contact the guilds and, and uh, maybe look up, uh, uh, stuff such as women in film and television uh, would you Kiva, have any other advice i think like there's a software called um uh, pro tools and mm -hmm. um and it's it's pretty much used it's used in, in most of the studios and if you can get your hands on pro tools and get savvy with pro tools it's a definite plus um mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, like things like foley just saying yes to projects and and just you know get a zoom and just start recording Foley start just start just start doing it and mm -hmm. it all it all um helps and um uh but yeah pro, pro tools had not on pro tools is a, is a definite plus i think and getting getting together mm -hmm. with other people who are making films other people you know um contemporaries who are maybe trying to put short films together and things is you can't beat the experience of actually having a go at it yourself to realize what the problems might be 
and and so that can be a really good uh learning curve if you can find other people who are very interested in in other parts of filmmaking and are like right we want to make something be that person who steps up and goes okay i'll do the sound and, <laughs> and see yeah. you know see where it takes you great brilliant um and so uh, talk me through how do you go about um maybe or what are the differences or similarities uh between working on a project that's maybe a sm small budget or it's a, it's a small intimate story as opposed to something uh with a um big cast uh, and uh, loads of money behind it um what are the challenges for each uh for you nina I would say the interesting thing I think between sort of large budget and, and very even very small budgets is they all have intimate moments um, and they all have complexity also you know it, it, the budget doesn't necessarily dictate how easy or difficult a film is to do it just gives you the resources but quite often the bigger budget um, films you end up um, you do a lot of time sort of changing the work that's already there so you you know the edit changes so you're you're constantly updating things which, so you'll do maybe a lot more spend a lot more of your time doing that kind of thing whereas on a, on a smaller film you can't afford to to keep sort of changing the edit once the sound team are on you generally you kind of do it once and, and creatively go through it but it's mm -hmm. I, I mean I think uh, there's obviously a bigger challenge when you've got a bigger team to manage everybody and make sure that uh, all the cogs are kind of working and everyone's pulling in the same direction um, and you're not losing sight of, of the creativity really. But mm. um, everything that we do, I think it comes from an ideological perspective rather than, um, you know, we've got the money, therefore we can do this. What we'll always do is look at any film, doesn't matter what the budget is and go, how do we want to, how do we want this to sound? and then reverse engineer it to figure out how we can make that happen. So for a crowd session, for example, it could be it could be a bunch of kids at the local school that we just walk up to with a mic and get them to record some stuff if we've got no money at all. Or it could be, you know, a full film studio with, you know, multiple pairs of headphones and and a large crowd to record. You know, you can you can get the same kind of results or very similar results uh, depending on, you know, what resources you have available to you but it's always driven by what we're trying to achieve more than the money we have to achieve it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and Kriva, uh, for you are there are there uh similarities or i mean i guess similarities are but like challenges to doing a smaller project or, or something massive do you need to do you need to hire uh, other people to help you how does that work yeah like if it's a really uh, if it's a really big action film, I definitely hire people in to help um, help with that. And um, for the like for the like for a quiet like for a period drama for a quiet period drama where there's no explosions and no crashing cars or anything like that, um, sometimes they can be even more tricky and more uh, refined. Mm work than a really bombastic piece um, for Foley uh, that kind of delicate really precise performance is something I absolutely love like I love the period dramas and for the lower budget films quite a, quite often this the sound supervisor will try and keep as much of the production sound as possible um, okay mm -hmm. so that that kind of helps uh, a lot and then we mightn't cover everything but we'll we'll really focus on the important 
moments in the scene, the important parts of the scene and focus on them and do those really refined so that we still kind of come at it with the same approach. We just will do less if it's like a five day shoot instead of a 15 day shoot. So that's how we, um, that's how we kind of navigate uh, those shorter schedules. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm starting to, <laughs> I'm starting to uh, feel like this is way more complex than I ever thought. But I, I, I got this image of just a sketch uh, uh, drawn in pencil that would be the sound you acquire on set. And then the, the beautiful Monet-like painting that is the end product. That's what you guys create, right? From that little little drawn sketch, it sounds like. So <laughs> there, there, there are certain things you can add, like, like, like for Nina, the breaths or, or, you know, vocals that are really intimate that you'd only hear if you were in the room with the person. And likewise, you might hear their corset uh, bend or uh, or you know the, the silk movement of their cloth something like that and it really puts you in the room with the person um, and it makes you really lean into the picture and uh, feel like you're really connected to the scene and they're real subtle things it's like a series of really subtle brush strokes that can um, really enrich the experience. Right. I couldn't agree more. It is those tiny details. And when we're developing a character and I'm doing the vocal part and you're doing the physical part, you know, it is those like for me, it might be little lip smacks, as you as you say, little breaths and things like that. And for you, those tiny micro movements, it does pose that it, the, the cumulative effect of that all the way through the soundtrack just draws you right into the story. And that is what elevates the, the storytelling at the end of it um and mm -hmm. and it is you know as you're saying with a lower budget you still strive to do those really important little details that are gonna really make that difference in the in the final product and is there ever an end to this like at which point do you feel like is it the money oh the money is over now so this is where we end or how do you stop yourself from ending more I think, you know, you could go on forever, for sure. You know, you could keep going and going. You always sort of think there's more diesel, but it is, the, you know, less is more as well. It's the whole thing is it, it is an interplay. And ultimately, it's about the balance of how they all play together. And, you know, for, for us in, in Sound Editorial, it's when you come in the mix and generally the, the final music comes in quite late in the stages. That's it's at the final where we hear the, the orchestra that's been recorded and things. And when that starts occupying space in the soundtrack um, and then everything starts really gelling together and you see what what now with everything in place what is truly important and what isn't and at that point there you do realize that actually we have everything we need here and now it's literally about how we balance the the play together of it all akriva how do you go about creating the sound effects of things that you you can't recreate say such as the car crash or an explosion unless you tell me that you can recreate it how do you go about it well, I, I would say there's pretty much nothing we can, we can't do. Like, is that, is that okay. bad English? Is it nothing we can't do? Um, but, uh, like, it's all layering. We do it in layers. And um, okay. so we would do, like, for a car crash, we might do the tires screeching as the cars approach each other. And um, so we'd do the, the screeching tires and, uh, and then the impacts... Um, uh, like, we, we have huge lumps of cars and we 
bury microphones and we base boom boxes and we uh, kind of stack them up and and you know we kind of build reverb units out of um metal and wood rather than any kind of augmented thing afterwards you know any kind of post on it we uh, sort of build it in mass and, uh, and then we might have the, the glass dust you know spraying and the grind of of of, of metal you know some sort of screeching so we would layer it up with spice skin crawl <laughs> 20 30 tracks wide if it was something like that you know uh okay uh, or like, you know some head hits we can we if it's, if it's comedy you we might put in you know you know a, a, a big sort of pop or something you know something you know, whatever or if it's a horror we'd we'd choose in a palette of kind of you know off sounds sort of flat notes sharp sharp notes um, for mm. things, you know, we kind of, whatever we're working on, we try and uh, colour all of the sounds, you know, we're thinking about, it, what, you know, how can we bring this to it, make it a little weird or a little funny, mm -hmm. or, yeah. I just noticed that you, you used a lot, you use a lot of words to describe sound, more words than I could think of. So how do you, uh, how do you go about, maybe this, I'll aim this at Nina, um, kind of, figuring out what the director wants how do you find that common language or how do you translate what he or she is telling you that they want uh, in, into sound i mean I, i have to say over the years i've had some quite creative notes i've had sounds described as colors um all manner of different things and it is about really kind of interpreting their vision and Uh, really just getting them to describe it more if you're unclear you generally I think once you start on a film and you really kind of get into the characters and you've read the script and you watch it and you start seeing the rushes either side as well of the edit um, and speaking to the editor and speaking to the director and the creatives who've been involved with it up to a point you do really start to understand and, and dive into that world so you can then you you understand when a director um maybe describes a character as as uh blue but like a warm blue or something like that you can kind of uh because you know what that character is like all the way through you you actually you can kind of understand that it's not always easy to then think about how how do i represent that in sound but it's very interesting what you're saying there quiver about the the types of sounds you use and and whether they're you know the sort of key that they're in and things like that because we we'll do the same you know if we're looking for hesitancy we'll try and like end on an inhale you know if you're looking for a lease you'll make sure that you can feature an exhale and it is those sorts of just tiny little details like that that can really bring, um, you know, either suspense or relief or just try and create uh, what you're trying to, you know, really supplement the story and support the storytelling. Um, but we don't always get it right first time. Very often we'll maybe, we'll put together what our interpretation of what the filmmaker would like and we'll offer that up and uh, it then becomes a discussion. It's a bounce back and forth, you know, we like that element, not sure about that one. Let's let's try again, maybe, oh, this is great, but could you make it more like this? You know, the, there's all sorts of things like that. The whole thing is is really, really collaborative, I would say, um, in, in sound. And uh, it's, a, it's a big sort of team effort and creative endeavor of, of bouncing ideas back and forth um, to ultimately try and like serve the director's vision and serve the story. Mm -hmm. I can see you nodding, Quiva. 
so you you so you you don't deal with directors as much as Nina would. You would be dealing with Nina and and people who hold her position, correct? Her, yeah. Like occasionally directors that come in, Ashley Walsh uh, loves attending and it's wonderful working with her. And I remember for um, Sinners, yeah, the, it's, it's set mm. in the Magdalene laundries and uh, and we needed to do lots of washing on um, the old fashioned washers. And um, and she came in and rolled up her sleeves and, and got amongst <laughs> it because we, we were doing all this big group scene. Um, mm -hmm. So occasionally directors come in, but uh, but mostly, uh, we deal with uh, with sound supervisors, and and as as Nina saying there, it's very collaborative and it's toing and froing, and um, and ultimately it's it's um, the director's film, you know, and um, and it's their film, and and we're really just concerned about supporting the story, and, mm -hmm. and whatever, whatever gets us there, and quite often uh, this uh, we'll get um, bounce tracks from the sound team. Of where they're where they're at, you know, um, mm -hmm. um, so we can kind of get a sense of of the sound design, and then we know then what kind of um, frequencies they're in. So we'll try and either be above it or below it, so it can play with it. And we'll also we'll also have a temp music track, so we know the frequency of that. So if we want to do, we need to be working with it, weaving into it and out of it, and. Um, so we like to have all of those tracks to inform us where we need to mm -hmm. be, uh, where mm -hmm. we can help out. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's very complex. Um, uh, and I want to ask you, so since you like daily deal with lots of different sounds and I guess at lots of different volume levels, how do you protect yourselves? How do you protect your earring? How do you take care of yourselves? Yeah, I mean, for me, that is a tricky one when you're in the mix, final mix uh, of a film that's quite loud. I actually have, I don't have them with me because I think my son's stolen them, but I have some um, headphones that are like ear defenders. So they, they basically cut out quite a lot of external noise. So I can sit in the mix with those on and be working away, doing updates and those kind of things. And it is protecting my ears, but I will be careful to take regular ear breaks. And also a lot of the mixers you work with are very, you know, they're very mindful of, of uh, how your ears are getting affected during the day. And they will, you know, if you're in a noisy scene, they'll start off in dim, which is basically just starting with the, the sound a lot lower so that you don't come in like in the middle of a, a storm sequence or a battle sequence or something. And you yeah, hit in with a very hard sound because that's the kind of stuff that can be really damaging. So it's about mm -hmm. easing in to sounds, you know, letting them ease in and out, and that will help protect your hearing. But certainly in the mix, because you are listening in a big room at full level. Uh, when we're working, obviously, I mean, I, I'm working generally with dialogue and ADR, so we're not dealing with as loud sounds um, as, you know, the people who are sort of working with effects and things. Um, but it mm -hmm. is really important to just uh, regular ear breaks, definitely, and how the sound comes at you, I think, are, are two very crucial elements in terms of protecting your hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, anything to add there, Kriva? Any tips? Um, when I'm working, um, uh, like <clears throat> I wear headphones and I have, um, I have one ear on the headphones so I can always hear the dialogue of the actor and hear, and I'm, and I'm rooted to it the whole time. Um, and I just feel like it really helps me kind of, channel the mood they're in or you know the emotion of the walk or the emotion of the performance um, and mm -hmm. uh, and then I have the other ear off 
So I have this ear free to the room. So I can kind of hear what's in the room and how the acoustic of that's sounding and then hear what's going okay. on tape here. And then somewhere in between, you can kind of get a sense of, of if you're catching the sound correctly, you know, if you're if what you hear in the room is actually the thing. Because sometimes, you know, the room um, can, you know, or the or the, the method of recording uh, can can change what's happening in the room to what's going to tape. So you have to we try and get, um, you know, a really true um, representation of the sound onto tape. Some, that sounds easy, but sometimes that's a little bit trickier than it sounds. And uh, so um, and then like if it's really loud stuff, if we're, if we're doing, you know, for hammer and nails or, um, you know, or anything like that, uh, we like we just turn it right down. We don't because it you just kill your ears because eight okay. hours on headphones, you're, you know, it's all really close. So you want to yeah. you pace yourself. Hmm. So that's protecting yourself, like physically, your ears. Uh, how does it work with um, different um, topics that, that or, or scenes that the film carries? Say there are some heavy scenes, maybe crime or um, abuse. How do you protect yourself mentally? Do, does it affect you? Yeah, I'd say it's hard actually working on quite, you know, I've worked on a couple of brutal horror films one of them when I was pregnant as well, where I just seemed to have far less resistance to that kind of thing. And mm. it just, it does, you know, watching sort of nasty torture, because uh, we go over it so many times, don't we? You know, over and over again and watching it over and over again, just gets you by the end of the day. You do kind of, it is quite worrying. I think it's just, again, it's about carving time out to try and get step away from it for a bit so that it's not mm -hmm. dragging you down too much. But it is quite inevitable. So difficult subject matter. It is quite, quite hard to just, just work on it day in, day out. It does. It's impossible not to be affected by those things, especially because you're constantly adding the sound to it and trying to bring it to life even more. So you're trying to make it more real, um, which then kind of just yeah. eats at you a little bit. But, um, you know, I've been very fortunate recently to work on things like Bohemian Rhapsody and stuff like that. It's like that that's just joyful. <laughs> yeah, good, good. And and you, Kriva, do you, does it affect you? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure. Because you like you're you're right in there. You know, you're you're mimicking all of their moves. Um, you're so concentrating on how they're processing what's happening to them. And um, and so if, lo if lots of violence is is happening upon them, then, then you're yeah and you're and yeah it's yeah definitely it definitely affects it but by the same token if it's comedy um like you you know like everyone's enjoying it like we're having a right laugh and it's great um so um you know kind of it flips both ways okay uh, and, and if the film's really good um like there's that's it's and you can and there's loads of moments where you can get in and do your thing and you can mm -hmm. hear it back and it's and it's it's all it's all weaving together really nicely. That it's just, it's just a superb uh, uh, feeling to have uh, to have that happen. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I re I just remembered when I asked you this question. I recalled um, during my film studies, um, a teacher, a professor, showed us a scene um, uh, from a, a French movie uh, where a woman was raped, 
and it was like a 10 minute long scene and it was a one take and and just the way the camera kind of floated around he wanted us to watch it so we could see you know how the camera helped tell that horrible situation but i i i remember thinking i can't if this is if this means that i have to do this <laughs> i can't be a cinematographer i i i walked away it was so so emotional for me just watching that so um i i cannot uh, and that was one scene i cannot imagine what you if you have to sit with a horror film for however long the job takes that that uh, probably uh really you need to you need to then take care of of yourself in your private space and just maybe seek uh, happy interactions with people <laughs> or yeah. balance it out with the next film is going to be a, a children's story or something like that. Exactly. When the, when the yeah. horror is really um, um, kind of over the top, like the, you know, screwdriver and the eyeballs and all those kind of ones, like they're yeah. hilarious. They're great crack. And <laughs> getting, getting in the and Like they're very enjoyable, that kind of horror, you know. Um, <laughs> And when everyone in the room is kind of wincing, then you know you've got it, uh, you've, you have it right. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And is there, uh, is there uh, your favourite type of movie to work on? Um, uh, favourite genre? I, su I suppose like period dramas are really something I, I tend to really love. I really like them. We, we and, um, we did a film recently um, and um, and it was clogs and bare feet were the only shoes that uh, the whole cast were wearing, host, uh, host um, as in heaven I think it's called now. And um, and that uh, that was a really quiet film other than clogs and, um, and the bare feet. But it was tricky, like if you were to ask me what are the hardest footsteps to recreate, it's clogs and bare feet. So a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I got into it, you know, like it was really, um, it was a challenge, you know, but I, uh, it was very enjoyable in the end. It's, it sounds mm -hmm. beautiful. The, the end result was, uh, was, was really nice. I, I, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, quiet film. Mm -hmm. And you mean now what kind of genre do you most like to work on? Well, I mean, despite everything we just said, I used to really love horror films when I was <laughs> but I think as I've got older and then having kids as well I just I've got less I've, I'm just more sensitive to it I think um and mm -hmm. as I say in recent years I've been really lucky to start working on some musicals and uh that I think now is is my new favorite genre because it's okay. just for me it's like it's it's expanding my horizons in terms of um you know, it's it's new whole new raft of challenges for me um, in in my professional life, and I'm learning loads more about it. Um, mm -hmm. All the stuff that I kind of wish I'd stuck at when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> musical instruments and and music theory and all that kind of stuff. So it's for me, it's been great, and also just listening to music each day at work is, you know. Pretty fun. The pleasure. I actually, Nina, I saw an interview with you um, where you discussed. Uh, I'm not sure if this relates necessarily to musicals, but you discussed the the, the dialogue work on Bohemian Rhapsody, where mm -hmm. you had to fit Freddie Mercury's voice into lead act to the to the lead actor's mouth, 
Mm-hmm. And and I and and the way you described it, it sounded a little bit like Foley to me. <laughs> um, could you tell us uh, and, and our listeners a little little bit about what is what is special about trying to uh, put a voice of someone we all know and heard into a performer who's act- playing him in a movie? I mean, I think it's the it's the sort of it's the old thing of of people who are miming while they're singing or ADR that is recorded and not bedded in very well to what you're seeing on screen, it's the, it bumps you out. That's the thing. You know, if you're watching something and you don't believe that the voice is coming out of the person you're watching performing, that immediately bumps it out of the story. And obviously on Bohemian Rhapsody, we have the challenge of... Um, Rami Malek did this fantastic performance, but we were always going to use Freddie Mercury's singing voice because, you know, he's, he's iconic, Freddie Mercury. Um, but then we also had a couple of sequences where we didn't have recordings with Freddie. So we had another voice, which is a Freddie voice alike. So we had three voices mm-hmm. to kind of make them sound like they were coming out of this one person. And, you know, the, to sort of trick the eye, you, it's those tiny little details. And as you say, it is quite Foley-like, but, you know, with Foley, we, Foley and, and dialogue, you're all kind of creating the performance of this character, whether it's coming from their voice or from the rest of their body. Um, there's a definite overlap there because you know you guys do kisses and we'll do kisses maybe in ADR as well and it's kind of you know we'll use the best one <laughs> it's generally what happens in the end but it's uh, we were using parts of uh, Rami's original performance whether it was like little breaths that he did or quite often the the sound of blowing on a mic um, so uh-huh. when he was performing Live Aid and you'd hear like if he did a uh, a plosive syllable it would it would have that little blow on the mic and if you could hear that it just tricked your all the way through those tiny little details would trick your eyes and ears that what you were hearing was what was coming out of Rami's mouth so it's it's about those though all those little details and even the distance of hearing the distance of the microphone from his mouth so if visually he just pulled it back a bit while he was performing we'd make sure that the volume dipped very slightly and it is tiny tiny little details like that 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 Queen will be really familiar with because it is all those tiny weeny details that you almost feel them more than hear them you know I, I never wanted anyone to be aware that they were there but they became the glue that kind of glued Freddie's voice into Rami's mouth wow so when he when he wins an Oscar what part of the Oscar do you get a leg <laughs> <laughs> he, you know. he, did, he did a fantastic performance. I mean, I don't think there's a he he thoroughly, thoroughly deserved that Oscar for sure for uh, everything he did, and he he went for it with the singing. I would never have been able to put that voice in that mouth if he hadn't physically uh, created Embodied, Freddie's yeah. performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Do you have anything there, Quiva, uh, uh, to add or? I could just listen to Neil loads more. Um, that's, that's so cool. I love that. That's really, really cool. Um, no, I, I no. Go ahead. Yeah, no. no, but anyway, but let's bring it back to the musicals. So, is are there similarities? Is you said that uh, it, it, there's there's lots to do with sync, right? Thinking to the music and to the I guess recorded performances. So. Uh, what is it then that's so different that you say it's something completely new to you? 
what well, everything that I've always tried to, particularly working in the dialogue side, is make sure that whatever I put forward on my tracks, whether it's you know recorded after the event, you know ADR, or whether it was production sound, maybe a different take, or any of those kind of bits, or um, sync effects, it's always it's always been crucial that it fits the picture exactly. Now, when I'm fitting vocals to somebody after the event. I'll get it there and it's like fits the picture perfectly. But then you put the music up and suddenly you've made Freddie Mercury sound unmusical because he's singing at the wrong part of the song. So suddenly you've got uh, this added element. There's picture, there's sound, and then there's the music. And from sort of picture being the god of like, we all have to make sure we glue our stuff onto the picture. It's suddenly like, yeah. no, actually the music is the most important thing here. Oh, really? We've got to be musical. So if, you know, if it's not quite working with the music, then we're going to have to slide the picture a little bit to fit the music. Um, so it's a, it's a whole sort of back and forth um, on that side of things. And, you know, obviously training my ears to hear um, how in tune everything is and all those kind of um, aspects of working, working with singing and the voice is, um, and ensuring that the you know you're maintaining the the rhythm and that they're on time for every line of vocal and it's not you know you it, there's there's a sort of fluidity to it as well like there is with dialogue you don't necessarily want it to be absolutely precise you don't want your ADR to be beautifully clean um, but that it needs to feel real and it needs to feel natural mm -hmm. and there's a you know a musical but maybe not you know bang on them on the second it's kind of all right and it feels natural maybe if part of a line is a little bit late to the music but it it feels right it's in like yeah. it's got the soul to it kind of thing so learning all those aspects and how to unpick all mm -hmm. that has been really fascinating mm -hmm. wow it is fascinating just listening to you explain it um, thank you I, I i mentioned at the beginning um the word uh the word the film gravity um, that you Nina worked on, and I, I this is question for both of you. I want to know, like, how do you go about creating sounds or, or and editing sounds for a place where you've never been? Uh, you know, like you know, period drama. Of course, we haven't lived in the past, but most of the sounds we can kind of uh, uh, encounter in everyday life or comedy. But how do you go about creating a soundtrack uh, for? And, and Foley sounds for for the space. Um, well, um, like usually, I like I'll I'll see the picture and I'll hear it in my head, and I um, so I kind of I kind of keep going to like till I get that sound, um, and you know, like for for delivering a dragon egg or you know what you know what would that yeah. sound like and 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 um but you know like i break it down and you know there'd be a viscous element um, mm. um and uh, the wet chamois is great for the viscous elements and then there'd be you know there'd be some kind of expulsion out of a out of a body so there'd be you know some kind of like vegetable celery <laughs> or, or something yeah. like that you know like where it's being extracted and then there'd be you know uh you know something a bit disgusting in there too like uh you know hair gel or something you know so we kind of would build it up like that and um, you kind of uh, you kind of uh quite often we're a bit bold about uh mm -hmm. the sound to try and um kind of fill the fill the space with with uh you know uh 
if you're if you want it to be uh, a beautiful egg delivered or if you want it to be absolutely terrifying like that would that would influence how we would deliver the egg uh so to speak so um yeah usually like i'll hear it in my head I, if there's something really obscure or if the director has a very clear idea about something that's um, you know ambiguous um, and then i we'd, we'd receive notes for that uh mm -hmm. you know what kind of, if you know if there was a certain palette but mostly um they kind of they kind of let us um go for it mostly mm -hmm. and you know they're so busy doing you know you know the sound designers are busy doing um all of their uh, end of things and and uh so they usually they're quite happy to let us go for it and, and bring what we what we do to it and mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's brilliant and nina nina so so you would be the one having talks with the director trying to figure out how it sounds in their head and so you can translate it uh yeah. so when it's a space that neither of you have been in it's yeah i mean definitely I, I, exactly as Quiva was saying there there is um there's the element there's what would be real you know if it's a space that you haven't been in, but there's also the emotion that you're trying to convey in any particular moment so you would enhance certain sounds to convey a particular emotion so in gravity for example when uh you know sandra's breathing 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 the whole wet whole way through and when you're really getting into the sort of panic zone and the camera actually kind of travels through and you're inside the helmet we uh, we mic'd her with three different microphones so that again it's that mic blow thing so she had the one that was here but also one up on the top of her head and then a boom and it was about uh again to really emphasize the 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 anxiety inside her and the fact that she's pushing this air out of her mouth you're hearing the blows on that mic as you come into the helmet and it makes you feel really close to her and what everest was a, a similar one where it's like i have to imagine what people are like breathing on top of everest mm -hmm. um not being somewhere i've ever been and how that you know the oxygen there affects you um so for that one again it's like try and do a bit of research I, I, I do always try and watch videos and listen to you know what what is it like for someone who is at top of everest how do they sound um, but then we just we got because we obviously knew that they're restricted their oxygen uh, is restricted so we've got weight vests for the actors were performing so that we could physically constrict them across their chest while they're doing their performances and we also we gave them just full maneuverability so they could be you know they're mm -hmm, going mm -hmm. to push up and go and plank and perform so there's again there's a strain on their chest when the performance is coming out so you, you know much, much like with Foley you you use tricks, you know, you're using a vegetable, but not so that anyone hears it as a vegetable afterwards. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. This is fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to let everyone know we're, um, uh, we we're hitting the one hour um, uh, time that we usually allot for these chats. So if you have any questions for uh, Quiva or Nina, please put them in the chat um, window. Um, uh, and I'm just going to ask one that popped up here. This one is for Quiva. Can you talk about the challenges of being both a creative fully artist and a business owner, studio manager, um, both in general and also as a woman? Um, well, luckily, I've uh, a business partner, uh, Johnny Reynolds, um, uh, who's also my husband, and, um, and he's uh, the studio manager. 
um, and uh, we, we, I don't have those kind of skill sets, you know, like I, I really just want to be in the dark room making the sound and uh, I wouldn't be brilliant at uh, the, the business management side of things, um, but he is, um, so, so that's really great. Like it's a lot of work to, uh, to run a Foley studio um, and all the technical stuff that goes with it. And, um, and we have all the different, um, you know, like all the different uh, tarmac, marble, granite, um, all the different, different kinds of wood, different kinds of surfaces, different kinds of doors, different, different acoustics that we can change in the room. So there's like, even physically in the room, there's quite a lot going on um, with that. We have two studios. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, really, I just, I, I, to be doing the kind of work that I'm doing on this, you know, with, with the schedules, we're busy now, as most people in film are busy after all the work being on hold during lockdown and now floodgates are open and we're all busy now. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I just really have to be uh, keeping my eye on the, the projects in the studio and, and mm -hmm. the creative work um, and and um, in general and as a woman I, I, I don't know I don't I don't know any any specific woman slant on that it's just it's you know uh, yeah busy busy <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank you very much um, I have another question here that just came in is it a skill or do you have to have a natural talent to do what you do is what you do, can you learn it? Maybe Nina, I'll, I'll get, oh, yeah. get this one. Or, yeah, and then Kriva, you can follow up as yeah, well. Yeah, go for it, Nina. Um, well, I, I, think it's, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, you know, I kind of came into this not uh, learning from the ground up. I think uh, you accumulate an awful lot of skills the more you go into it, and I'm still accumulating them. Every film I work on, I learn new things and approach things maybe a different way the next one that comes along. Um, it does help um, to be a little bit probably maybe musical or a little or understand rhythm or be able to sort of see sync as you said earlier you know it, it helps to have that kind of eye whether that's something that can be learned or not I have no idea but I, I think you know I, I've obviously managed to do it I just about I, I couldn't tell you if that's something that was there that kind of got yeah. unlocked with working or if it's something I've developed over the years I don't know mm -hmm. and you Kriva? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both as well. Like, um, like certainly you have, you know, um, yeah, seeing sync is something that's really important for the job. Um, but also, like, I just and seeing a project project through. I think you really need to be, uh, or it really helps in the job if you're the type of person who will just stick with it. When a lot of people will kind of park it at a point, mm. but if you're willing to keep going till you really have it, you know, till you really get, so it's really all gelling together and that little magic happens. Um, you know, that kind of mindset really helps this kind of work, this kind of really detailed attention to detail work. It's not for everyone, um, but uh, so it's, you know, yeah, like a bit of that and a bit of the, the sink and, um, and a love, absolute love for film. Like that's, that's definitely yeah. love for storytelling and, and a real, a real appreciation for storytelling. I think that's a wonderful way uh, and place to end this conversation. Um, I think we can all agree that all of us here are, are, are here because we love stories and we love to tell them. So I will thank both of you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And uh, Nina, uh, uh, 
you know how to keep in touch with Quiva, likewise, uh, the other way around. <laughs> well, you already know each other. Uh, thank you so much. I wish you all the best in the future with your future projects. And uh, I also want to thank you all who have tuned in today. Find us on uh, wfg.ie and learn about um, all of our events there, please. So once again, thank you, Nina. Thank you, Quiva. Uh, wish you all the best and uh, have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so very much. much. Lovely thank to meet you guys. Bye-bye. This event has been made possible with the support of Screen Skills Ireland. If you would like to support Women in Film and Television Ireland or follow the work we do, log on to wft.ie.